When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I've had a Twitter exchange, you know, with one guy who was like, it's a really big thing. It was the first time that Captain Philip, you know, got to Australia. So I want to celebrate that day. And I said, great, mate. Big party at your house, 18th of January, is it? Because that's when he got there. That is Peter Fitzsimons. And this, well, this is episode 218 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast, a very extra special edition. What's this happening? It's not even Monday. This is a very special episode of the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Uh, I'm Osher, this is my show, and this is a show which is a conversation that usually happens every Monday. But considering that January 26th is upon us, uh, Australia Day, a public holiday in Australia, I wanted very much to bring you this conversation with Peter Fitzsimons. You can follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore F-I-T. Z, Peter underscore Fitz with a Z. Peter is a uh, a fantastic human being. He's the author of over thirty books. Thirty books, mostly focused on Australian historical figures and historical moments. He is an absolute authority on what it has meant and what it now means to be Australian. He's also the chair of the Australian Republic Movement, a group of Australians dedicated to having an Australian. As a head of state. At the moment, it's the Queen, the lady on the $5 note. Remember? Will and Harry's grandma? Yeah, her. Peter is also, uh, not at the moment, but has been, an international rugby union player. He played for our uh, rugby union team, the Wallabies. He ran onto the field representing our country many times, all over the world. And um, he writes a regular column for the Sydney Morning, Sydney Morning Herald, which uh, is syndicated uh, around the country. Um, And he doesn't hold back on his progressive views, um, which I, for the most part, align with. I wanted to talk to Peter about January 26th because it's a difficult day for many Australians. Got to say, I'm a proud immigrant to this country. I I willingly took citizenship to this country and I'll do whatever I can to make this country an incredible place for everyone that lives in it. 
And that's kind of where January 26 becomes a bit of a, a bit of a problem for me. I've, I've come to realise, it wasn't always this way, um, I've come to realise that Australia isn't what it is for most of us, for all of us. Here's an example. The other day, driving in Sydney, um, I was late, I'm running late to my psychiatrist and a highway patrol car, the one with the plate uh, recognition cameras, pulled me over and it turned out I was driving an unregistered, uninsured vehicle. My fault, completely my fault. I'd let it lapse. I'd forgotten a day to renew it. Um, bad, very bad. And the police officer pretty much, very kindly, but he was almost apologetic that he had to give me the ticket. He was super kind and he graciously let me go on about my day as long as I kept driving straight to where I could get a pink slip for my car so I could get it re-registered and reinsured. Now, just think of that, all right? I was on the side of the road for about 10 minutes. If I was an Aboriginal man or woman driving an uninsured, unregistered vehicle, would that have played out the same way? And that's one of the reasons it's important to me to talk about changing the date. Because the health, education, employment and legal outcomes for Aboriginal Australians are not great. They are not what you or I would accept as okay. Not at all. But where do we change the date to? And why do we change the date? Well, that's where Peter Fitzsimons comes in. As chairman of the Australian Republican movement, he has a solution that could be a way out of this debate that we keep having. We met in his family home in Sydney, and I can't thank him enough for taking a precious hour of his, uh, of his day to make it happen. And we had a talk about this. You can follow Peter on Twitter, uh, Peter underscore F-I-T-Z. Uh, he's quite active there. He loves an exchange. If you let him know you heard him here, he's often one to chat back and forth on Twitter. But I'll say this now, before we get into the chat, uh, I asked Peter when I set the microphones up and I said, oh, can I just quick, get a quick level check so I can get the microphone level right so people can hear you? Peter gave me the best microphone level check I've had in over 200 episodes of making this show. So I, left, I asked Andy, my producer, to leave it in. So uh, here, with the brilliant level check, is Peter Fitzsimons. Can I get a quick level off you, yep. please, sir? Moving at the station for the word had passed around that the cult from old regret got away. Oh, that's the best mic check I've ever heard. <laughs> Hello, Peter. Hello, Osher. Osher, it's Hebrew for happiness. Uh-huh. Nice to, well, thank you. You were very kind to me last time. You were very understanding. It's, look, totally, totally fine. You're a busy man. Got- well, my daughter was quite stunned to meet you, so she said, that was Osher. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I said, who the fuck's Osher? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm grateful we can do this. I normally only ever put the show out on a Monday, um, but because of the significance of this week and um, yeah. I, I, I really wanted to talk to you mm. and, and try and get this out as quick as possible so people can have something to listen to while they contemplate what they're going to do on Friday, the 26th of January. Mm. What are your thoughts when you think about that date? Uh, a very good friend of mine is Ben Fordham, who you probably know. He's occasionally ho- co-host of the Today Show, but he's better known as the afternoon presenter on 2GB. And this is a Dennis Lilly run-up to answer your question. But he made a point to me not long ago about same-sex marriage, how when he first went to air in 2010, 2011, 
nobody was talking same-sex marriage. And if anybody did talk same-sex marriage, it was, you know, nah, don't want it, don't want it. And then by 2016, 2017, you know, on 2GB, a deeply conservative station, the compelling... The nature of the argument was so compelling that it was something when you really thought about it, we go, yeah, well, of course, same-sex marriage. You know, the, it, it took over. The, the internal logic of the argument was so strong, it swept all before it. And on the issue of changing the date of Australia Day, it is not something that I have been, you know, sort of beating the drums on. It's lying awake at night, passionate about. But the more I think about it, the more obvious to me it is, like same-sex marriage. It's not something I came to naturally. It's not something I spent a lot of time on. But it, really the the logic of changing the date is compelling because the first thing is that I'm a storyteller. So my my ideally I'd like to think of myself as a storyteller. But you need, if you're going to have national days, it's got to be. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air. They poofed through the night that our flag was still there. And, uh, you know, so our obvious answer to that day is Anzac Day. You know, that's that's the day where we tell that story. And, in fact, I'm a great critic of the fact that on it, that if you take all of Australia's, all of our knowledge of our military past, 95% of it encompasses what happened between dawn on the 25th of April 1915 and sundown on the 25th of April 1915 because we tell that story over and over again. But there's a story associated with Anzac Day that everybody knows, a binding, inspiring story. Gather around the campfire. Let's tell this story again. Now, the truth of it is for Australia Day, there, there is no... There, well, there's the story, you know, there is a story, but it's not the one... I mean, I think the... Was it Essential Media, the poll the other day, had 70% of the population had no clue. And and I've, I've had a Twitter exchange, you know, with one guy who was saying, it's a big, you know, it's a really big thing. It was the first time that, you know... Captain, the, the Captain Philip, you know, got to Australia. So I want to celebrate that day. And I said, great, mate, big party at your house, 18th of January, is it? Because that's when he got there. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the 26th of January. They pissed around in Botany Bay. They hated it. Captain Philip, I think it was with with 12 men in a, in a long boat, rode, you know, they were, he was rowed up and he came into Sydney Harbour and the, the immortal line, I have discovered the finest natural har- harbour of the world where a thousand ship of the realm can sail in full security. You know, he was knocked out to see Sydney Harbour. But the actual, you know, the actual thing, again, Twitter I find instructive on this because you get so many people's opinions on it and somebody said, you know, look, really, this was the this was the establishment of an offshore penal colony. <laughs> I mean, <it's, laughs> you know, and it, but it wasn't it yeah. wasn't it wasn't you know cr- crossing the Delaware River to take on the Brits. It, it wasn't storming the Bastille. It wasn't an inspiring story, and it really it, it was nothing to do with you know they were they were establishing Britain in the South Seas. It wasn't the establishment of Australia. And again, other people say you know Federation. Federation should be the day, 1st of January uh, 1901, I think. And again, you know, listen to this, Osha. He picked up that pen. He, 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 put his, he signed the bastard, you know, and it was just great. And suddenly it all came into being, you know. The, 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 we were a federation. Oh, and it's not it, – it's – you need to have a story. And yeah. for me, you know, obviously, I, well, for me – 
obviously I'm biased, but I'm as chair of the Australian Republic movement, the obvious thing to do, the solution for for this is to say this. I mean, it, it was at sixty-two percent of Australians. Amazingly, with when you've got you know strong media pumping up the volume on Australia Day and a current affair, I think you've got Mark Latham saying that the lefties and the elitists want to change. Well, actually, no, Mark. It's it's sixty-two percent are quite happy to change, and there's not this actual huge attachment to that day. Now, you know, we we we've had a party here for the last ten years, and. Um, but you know, it's a it's a celebration of Australia. There is nothing in, you know, and there's barbecues around the country. But I don't think that around the country anybody dresses up as Prince Philip and grabs a Union Jack and, and you know jams it into the jams it into the turf because it would be a bit beside the point on Australia Day. That was that was you know the off, off, offshore penal colony. So there's might be people who who are listening that get a bit uppity of like, oh, why do you have to go and make such a fuss? Why do you have to get upset about a thing? Just leave it how it is. Everything will be fine. Well, those those people have been with us since the dawn of time. You know, and I, when there were those people, they were, they were there in the 1890s who said, let's just stay as six colonies. They were there in the 1920s who said, we don't want to have an Australian as, an, uh, as the Australian, as the Governor General of Australia. We want British aristocrats. They were there in the 1960s when they said, we don't want to change stamps. We want just the Queen of England to be on every stamp. We don't, they were there when we're talking about changing the national anthem. We don't want to move on from God Save the Queen. We love God Save the Queen. We don't want advanced Australia fair. That was led by J.B. Elkie Peterson. Um, they were there when Gough said, we'll change the Privy Council. You know, we won't, we'll cut down appeals to the Privy Council. The nervous Nellies and the netty naysayers who say we can't, we won't, we shouldn't, it's not safe, it's not right, shut the fuck up, we don't want to do it, they've been with us since the beginning and we love, we'll love them anyway. But it's, it's it, I'm more interested in progressive moving things forward because, you know, it was the right thing to give Indigenous people the vote. 1967, you know, there was a, there was resistance to that too, you know, it was so. Any any time you've got progressive politics coming forward, you've got people, you know, and people make a huge living out of it by by you know getting them to listen to their radio programs. And I don't, and by that I don't mean Ben Ford, but Alan Jones is a classic example. You know, Alan, who used to be my rugby coach, he's the best in the business in in saying, "Let's all go back to 1952." <laughs> it's a very Tony Abbott is a very good friend of mine. He used to, again used to be my rugby coach, but Abbo, as we call him, you know, Abbo. Uh, I, I've been arguing strongly against him for 30... I like the man, but I don't like his politics and he doesn't like my politics, but we get on well. But, you know, I think it's fair to say with Tony Abbott, I don't think there's been a political idea post-1952 that he's liked, you know, and it's all... I think I, I may be making this part up, but did he did he say once that his natural place in time was 1922, sort of that, that kind of... That kind it does of sound like something that... That, that he might say. You touched on two things that I'd, I'd really like to just kind of just explore a little bit. Number one, you were born in 1961, yep. correct? I was, so- I was born, I was born, I was the longest baby born at the sanitarium hospital in Warunga. I was so <laughs> long when I was born, mum said I was born on the 27th, the 28th and the 29th of June, 1961. In your lifetime, hmm. in the time that you've been alive, human beings 
from this country, mm. who were in this country before any white people showed up, mm. were granted the gracious permission yes. to participate in a democracy. Yes. Not 100 years ago, not 200 years ago, but while people like you I missed out on it by seven years. In my lifetime, we were, I was raised by fabulous parents, wonderful people up on a farm at Peach Ridge, and we were taught eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch an N-word by the toe. You know, and it, when my brother Andrew came back from Sydney University and said, listen, that uh, this was in the late 60s, early 70s, said, look, we shouldn't be using the N-word in that, in that, little, that little ditty. I remember thinking, that's just ridiculous. It's just a word. Well, no, it's not. It's a loaded word. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I've, I've, you know, we all got, undergo our transformations of our politics or whatever, mm. and... And so for me, I guess, but yes, I'm, I'm firmly on the side of progressive politics. It's, it's interesting because I, I grew up in mostly uh, post-Sandpit school was in Queensland under B.L.K. Peterson. Really? And we sang God Save the Queen in the mornings. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> 1979, 1980, 1981. You, this is your interview, not mine, but what did you think of the veneration of Flo B.L.K. Peterson? I think we've got a state funeral. Oh, boy. I'm... I think we, we we kind of pretended that she wasn't there every mm. step of the way, uh, mm. f- you know, just right behind. Like Brisbane was an awful, awful place to mm. be when he was in power yeah. and I was white. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, you know. I mean, what was that extraordinary story that came out? Somebody that was in Joe's cabinet had came out and said that Joe said don't, don't don't give the Aborigines who've got AIDS. Don't don't give them any, yeah. any any. I mean, don't give them any medical treatment. They'll they'll die off or something like that. Something remember like that? that was, do you remember yeah, that story? I heard that story. Yeah, I heard that story. Wow. I mean, that's just extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that that, that 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 makes me sad, but it also makes me very happy. Mm. But if if we say, for example, we are at the fifty percent line, like if that happened within your lifetime, mm. what's possible? And that I'd like well, to talk see, to you about. You see yeah. the you see the stuff with the same sex marriage, the euphoria that of that day, and I was actually in Canberra that day, listening to it on the radio. And I was about ten kilometres away from where the guy, the Mister Statistician, Mister Australian Statistician, yeah. did a seventeen minute pre it was so pre, good. preamble <laughs> before he got to the to the. He's stuff. got a career in reality <laughs> television ahead of him, mate. <laughs> um, but. You look at the the euphoria of that, and you, and again, you'd like to think. Well, one of the lines I say, the the night that we become a republic, that we become freestanding in the South Pacific, that we shake it off, that we don't define ourselves by our relation with another country, that we're we are our own people, freestanding beneath the Southern Cross, and, and it will be the greatest night in Australian history. And I, one of the lines I, I say is that for those of you who agree with that statement. On that night, you'll have every right, right to be pleased. But if you're a member of the Australian Republic movement and actually do something and put your shoulder to the wheel and help make it happen, you'll have a right to be proud. And for me, it would be a great, a wonderfully unifying exercise. And, you know, with the Prime Minister, I've been... I've, I've had quite a few dealings with the Prime Minister on the subject of the Republic. And before Is that Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, Prime who Minister led Mar- the Yes yeah. uh, campaign yeah, in 1999? Prior, prior, well, in fact... Therein lies the therein lies the story, but but well, I can tell the story. I think that that on the uh, given the microphones on, I'll tailor a couple of details. But uh, I can but, always edit it. Uh, yeah, I'm not happy with. in uh, June of 
in June of two or three years ago, just before Malcolm became Prime Minister, he was in his wilderness years and there was a there was a night down at uh, Luna Park in Sydney, uh, Vinnie's Sleepout, CEO Sleepout, and I'd been invited to go down even though I'm only the CEO of a $2 shelf company. But I go down and it was impressive. I mean, it was, I kid you not, a dark and stormy night and uh, wind howling and Malcolm's... Uh, sleeping bag was right by mine and I must say General Sir Peter Cosgrove's Governor General his one was 10 over and I was I was impressed that he was there that night but anyway in the wee hours of the night Malcolm and I were talking and because I've known him from the Republic Movement days and he told me a story about a particular policy that Peter Dutton had wanted to put through and Malcolm said, "Well, it won't." Well, he indicated that it that it had no chance, in quite colourful language, that it had no chance of getting up. And we also talked about the Republic. And anyway, the following day, I was writing my column, and I remember that conversation at three o'clock in the morning. And I I emailed Malcolm and said, "Look, this is what I've written for my column of what you what you told me um, in in in." Uh, on Thursday night, but last night it was, um, that was not an interview situation. So I won't run this unless you're absolutely happy to, you know, and he came back within 30 seconds and said, you know, thank you for asking, don't run it, and I didn't say that. You know, so that's fine, that's fine, all, all good. And then a month later I became chair of the Republic Movement and I go into, and, and uh, I go into the chairman's lounge at uh, Brisbane Airport. There's Malcolm. G'day, Malcolm. G'day, Peter. And I said, he said, oh, I said, I was talking. To, I said, I was talking about you this morning. He said, Oh, who's that? I said, A guy from the Fin Review called me up and asked me about, you know, where you stand on the Republic. And I, you know, and I said, You'll be pleased to hear. I said, Well, you'll have to ask Malcolm about that because I didn't want to quote him, you know, from what he'd said to me that night. So that that was the thing. Anyway, Malcolm stood up and he said, You what? You what? I said. Well, I said, you'll have to ask Malcolm. I wasn't going to quote you, you know, like that. that you, you, you can put your own quotes. And he, he ripped into me. He, uh, I was exposed to the legendary incandescent rage. The table know? flipper. Well, because it was, you know, it was, he took it to mean that I was doubting his commitment to the Republic. And I didn't mean it like that at all. Anyway, as, as, as most men listening to this will know, but inside every man there is a four-year-old boy blinking back tears. And I had, I, had, I had about ten seconds of thinking, Malcolm Turnbull's yelling at me. In the, you know, he was like a boxer. He was looking about where he was going to plant one on. It wasn't actually physical, but it had that feel yeah. about it. And I had about ten seconds of going, Malcolm Turnbull's yelling at me, Jesus. And then I thought, hang on. I've been set off against the All Blacks for violence. Don't you ever! <laughs> and I went at him and I stormed off. He stormed off and by the time I got back into my uh, seat, got, got on my seat for flight to Sydney, there was a couple of emails from him saying, look, I might have gone a bit far, whatever, but, you know, but oh, I want you to know I'm very passionate for the Republic. And that was me, that I tell the story as an indication of the level of passion he has for the Republic. But it's no news to anybody that since he's been in the Prime Ministership, well, he did turn up to our dinner. So he turned up, he, he spoke at our dinner uh, for the 25th anniversary of the Republic Movement on the 17th of December 2016, and it was a big deal. And there we had 400 people, Malcolm and Lucy came, 
And Malcolm gave a 20-minute speech, and the first five minutes was just fantastic. It was fire and brimstone, why we've got to be a republic. And the next 15 minutes, to be fair, were all the reasons why you know, we've got to wait till the Queen dies. And it's going to be, you know, and I, you know, was saying, you, you, you face, you face a long and bitter road like that. Hang on, hang on. What, what you? No, we, we, and we've got you in our camp. You're a Republican, but I, I'm amazed that, you know, Malcolm Turnbull, you know, still maintaining that we still have to wait till the Queen dies. Come on. Come on, are we, you know, are we a great and independent people or not? And and I like the line from Paul Keating. He said that you know, a great people don't wait for something to fall into their laps. They they reach up and they grab it. You've named two fairly like as big as you can get names in Australian politics, right? But the thing you said before about uh, Tony Abbott, uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this because it seems that particularly when we engage with each other uh, about political discourse in this modern way of communicating, either it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's, mm. it's a way. It's as far as you can get to the right before going through the wall or as far as to the left as you can yeah. get before going through the wall. And, uh, you know, the inability of so much dialogue to actually happen because people just switch off. Well, it's right? interesting. So, we, we've just come back, my wife and I have just come back from America and, you know, you turn on Fox News, it is unbelievable. Yeah. Whatever the daily Trump atrocity is, there's no record of it. <laughs> But there's no that, that, there's no discussion. You turn on CNN, you turn on BBC, you know, they're all discussing whatever the Trump atrocity of the day is because it's a big deal. Mm. Turn to Fox News, and if you are and Obama, President Obama made that point that if you if you only watch Fox News, you're living in a different nation. You've got no clue as to what's going on. You know, in terms of of, of that with Keating. I mean, I I. Uh, I suppose, again, as a writer, of the things that I admire about Keating, it's not only his passion, not only his vision, but his expression. The way he draws word pictures is extraordinary. My favourite political interaction, I think October 93, when John Hewson was doing the whole fight back thing and he said, shouted at Keating across the ballot box, why don't you call an election? Why don't you call an election? And Keating on the spot said, because, mate, I want to do you slowly. There's got to be some sport in this. There's got to be some sport in this for all of us. There'll be no easy execution for you, my friend. I want more of those ashen face performance. I mean, just Shakespearean diatribe. Glorious moment. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. No way he could have prepared it. And, you know, when he talked about um, Abbott, you know, and the, and the ones that were with him early on talked about uh, over there, the young fogies. <laughs> Brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and you know. So I, I love that kind of language, and I don't. I, I think it's fair to say we don't have that kind of language these yeah. days in Parliament. It's not as no, no, nowhere nearly absorbing as it used to be. I, I agree with you. There's my darling. Do you know Osha? Hello. Oh, Hello. Osha, how are you? I'm I'm good, thank you. The thing that uh, I would guess I would I would like to explore though is that you mentioned that you're. You're still great friends with Tony Abbott. Yeah. yeah. It seems that you are fairly opposite. Oh, because I find, I find that, you know, that whole, God help me, the left-right stuff, it is so tedious. For some people that's the only... That's some the, people that drink the Kool-Aid, that, yeah. that think like that. I mean, I, I, I see some of them around. I say, listen, any chance you could write a column that didn't have in the first paragraph the left this, the left that, and vilifying people who actually believe climate change is real. I mean, for Christ's sake, doesn't it just bore you? Doesn't it bore you rigid 
that you're writing that shit because, you know, and, and the people that get sucked into it, you know, yeah. that, that, that think in that, that, that superficial paradigm, I'm left, you're right. Well, I, I didn't. Well, in fact, I, I used the line when I launched my mate, again, a mate of mine in the right wing of politics, I guess, Joe Hockey. And I, when I launched Joe's bio, I said, I'm tired and many are tired of the mad march of Australian politics. Left, right, left, right, left, right. I'm left, you're right. I hate you, you hate me. What about I am, you are, we are Australians, you know? And having a diversity of opinions on a, on different subjects that can't be can't be put into a pigeonhole of left right and inner city, you know, latte people. That's the other accusation. But I also think, you know, I uh, you know Richard Glover. Uh, yeah, the ABC. Yeah, um, he's uh, a, ABC after drive time announcer. And and uh, Richard once left his microphone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. ...on when he thought it was off. And he was heard to say about his audience, aren't they astonishing? They're so smart. <laughs> and it went to air. And yeah. it, was, it was a really nice thing because he had such a respect for his audience. Yeah. And I must say, I find, I don't know, the people that email me and contact me and whatever, I go, Jesus, you're smart. You know, that you're, I like them. I th- but I do think that people, that particularly the people who deal in the whole left-right vilification, I do, the, you know, the people that tweet, tweet me sometimes about, you know, you're lefty. And you, you go through, you know, their other their other tweets or whatever to get a feel for their their thing. I don't I don't want my world filled with that hate rant sort of stuff that I think that a lot of the you know I, I'm proud of the people I guess that 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 I don't know I, I'm not claiming my people are smarter than the average bear but I do I'm, I I I like a lot the intelligence and intuition of a lot of my readers. I have a great respect for them. And I don't I wonder if those who are handing out the Kool-Aid on this stuff where they they preach vilification of one side of politics or the other to the exclusion of all else. I do wonder if they have a similar respect for their audience. 
what are you saying that they might just be writing this stuff to rile them up and get them agitated? Oh, well, I mean, Jones. Get them, bring Alan, them back tomorrow. Alan Jones is a smart man, no doubt about it. But you listen to some of his callers, it's just, it's just vile, vile. Alan, seriously, are these the people, these are the people you want to fill your world with? Well, in case of Alan, probably yes. <laughs> <laughs> When faced with, you know, it often happens around what we've just experienced uh, Christmas time and in the States, there's, there's Thanksgiving, there's these, these moments that happen in our lives where we, we're, we come back into the orbit of relatives we are, you know, long gone from. And then, you know, when you're faced with, oh, here's this person I love, outwardly saying, I can't believe they voted yes, that's bullshit. Mm. You know, how, how do you um, deal with that kind of thing? It's, it's interesting. A very dear friend of mine um, voted no for the same-sex marriage and it was, all, it was all about the religion, you know. So Lisa, who you've just met, uh, has made the point to me many times that for an avowed atheist, it's amazing how many of my friends are avowed Christians. But, he's, you know, he was quoting something-something in the Bible, something-something. I said, please, please, you know, you're all-encompassing Lord, you're omnipresent power... If, if he created everything on heaven and earth and he hates gays, why would he create the sexual urge in some men to love only men and the, in some women to love only women? You know, and there is no answer to that. Yeah. There is absolutely no answer to that. And for him, because his religion informs so many of his political views, I like him a great deal. He's a very, very generous soul and a long-time friend of mine. But I tend to steer away from stuff like that in religion because it just gets too upsetting. Is it possible when it comes to I mean, I'll just interrupt if I may. I mean, that Margaret Court thing where she talked about transgender children being what, the spawn of the devil yeah. or something like that. I mean, Jesus, wept. Mm. And, and somebody emailed me saying, you know, you know, why can't she express her opinion? Well, she can express her opinion. But I'm expressing my opinion. And it's like when you I'm, – I'm less careful – than I used to be on on the subject of religion because people say you've got to respect everybody's religion. Now, hang on, hang on. When when people are saying, and they do, you know, heavyweight religious people of all stripes, the unifying feature is believe as I do or you will burn in hell for all eternity. Not only will you burn in hell for all eternity, but you'll deserve to burn in hell for all eternity because you don't believe what I do. And I try to lead the Raspberry Brigade against that. <laughs> and when you go, you know, to, to this this nonsense, people say you're not respecting the religion. I go, well, hang on. How come? How come they get? They say I get to burn in hell for what I believe, and I can't blow a raspberry in reply. It's, that's all it is. When it comes to uh, things like Friday, uh, Australia Day, mm. and. Um, we had the conversation last night with our, um, Audrey's daughter, my stepdaughter. We had this, went for two hours hmm. conversation. A lot of it was about, and you know, she's 13. It's totally understandable. We started talking about her mum and I started talking about it. It was Audrey that talked about it, about ways to love your country. Right. And it, it almost seems like there's a conversation about Australia Day that if you, it's this or it's nothing. Hmm. It's what we've been given or you hate Mm, that's right. Our country. Yeah. That's, but that's that, not the case no, at all. No, that is not the case at all. And I think, you know, for Australia Day, I actually talked to Lisa about it the other day about, you know, we've had this Australia Day for 10 years and when we started it wasn't remotely controversial and it's not, I don't think, remotely controversial right now. But it's probably getting there. You know, it, it, it's, it's, well, do you, you tell me, do you think it's wrong to celebrate Australia Day? Um, On you, 26th of January? You and your family are clearly uh, very informed 
people and I'm mm. guessing the guests that will, will mm. show up at your beautiful home will be very, very informed mm. and it will be, as intended, probably a celebration of what is great. About Australia. About Australia. And there will be no discussion of Philip and no discussion of disposition of, Abri- disposition of Aboriginal land, or, although perhaps there should be. You know, I've, I've given it a Eureka theme over the years. You know, I, I used to hang up on the Eureka flag because for me that was the great moment in, in our history mm. and I think that that would be a great Australia Day, Eureka Day. Um, but... You know, it's it's something that I think it's it's every year it's gaining traction, and it it it's inconceivable to me that ten years from now or fifteen years from now it'll still be on the twenty sixth of January. It'll move on. Well, I mean, I'd like to think in four years it'll be it'll be Republic Day or Independence Day. And one of the lines, well, one of the lines, you know, people say, you know, no, no. I mean, John Howard says, you know, not yet, not yet. You know, well. Mr. Well, I, I said this in '99. I wrote to him. Well, you say not yet. I did a, did a column for the Herald. You say not yet. Well, if not now, when? Your you, you only reason that you say not yet. He said, I have no doubt that in 100 years we'll be a republic. Well, why not now, Mr. Howard? And the line that I use in speeches now, I say, well, we're coming up to 20, 2020. Will be 250 years since Captain Cook set foot on Botany Bay, and. And prior to Captain Cook, well, ignoring the Dutch for the moment, <laughs> 1606, the Doifkin, yeah. up there on the, on the west coast. Well, there's a lot of nailing of plates to trees. <laughs> That's right. There's a lot of that. But, 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 Less but, flagged, but only used to flag. Prior to, <laughs> prior to European settlement, the Indigenous people, the First Nations, the First Peoples, were free and independent beneath the Southern Cross. And so taking Captain Cook as an example or as a, as a reference point, you're saying, you're telling me, that 250 years after Captain Cook got here, we're still not ready to be an independent people. And the line, you know, people always conflate the flag issue with the Republic issue, and they're totally separate issues. It just so happens, and I always make clear when I'm speaking as chair of the Republic movement that, you know, we have no position on the flag whatsoever. But I personally do, I'm on the board of Ausflag as well. And I love the line from Jerry Seinfeld, and I constantly quote it, came out here in the year 2000 for the Olympics, and he said, I love your flag, Great Britain at night. (laughs) Brilliant. And, you know, it's glorious. It's glorious. It's a great line. And, you know, again, how fabulous will it be the great day we have a flag of our own that we don't identify, we don't give the top top left-hand corner, 25% of our precious real estate on our national flag to the flag of another nation. You know, here we are, Great Britain in the South Seas. And when they formed up that flag, that's exactly who we were. And when we went to fight the First World War, Andrew Fisher, you know, we will fight for Great Britain to the last man and the last shilling. That's who we were. It ain't who we are now. Yeah. You uh, have a part in Australian history as um, being someone who's run onto the field as a, as a rugby mm. union player for, for our country. Mm. When you stand there, when you stand there shoulder to shoulder with your teammates that you've been through so much with, opposite some French blokes who are about to stand on your mm. head, but you are in a stadium mm. and they're playing the anthem mm. and you're going, I'm about to play for my country. Mm. What What do you feel in you your heart? You feel like, I used to think, think about this, you feel like the whole world has stopped because this is the most important thing that's not only happening in Australia today, but also New Zealand. They're watching it all over the world. And everyone that I know is watching and everyone that, I, that I've heard of is watching this. This is 
important. This is so important. And it's only afterwards where when the red veil <laughs> lifts that you think, well, there probably were a few people that weren't watching. There probably were a few people that didn't, you know, have everything, you know, their heart and soul riding on whether we beat the All Blacks or not. But what that that is what I, I feel. I used to always think at the Sydney Football Stadium, particularly when you sing the anthem and you line up there, it's like a cathedral of your own, That particularly that that western face of the Sydney Football Stadium, you're looking up and it's a solid wall of people you went to school with, your parents, your brothers and your sisters, your dearest friends, your former lovers, your this, your that. It's a wall and you're standing before them saying, right, you know, and people often always talk to about, you know, with the what's it like to face the harker and the answer is terrifying but fantastic, absolutely fantastic because the primary feeling is, you know, kamate, kamate, kora, kora is you're standing there going, Christ, this is on. These bastards are coming at me. This is, you know, and there can be nothing better to awaken your own battle juices than, than to be standing face to face with it. Do you feel when you're in that moment, uh, whether it is facing the Haka, whether it's in a, in a stadium far, far, far away in, in Europe, do you feel a sense of Australian about yes. it? Yes, feel- oh, God, yes, absolutely. You know, and I... I was in the in the Far Jones era, and he, you know, so Nick Far Jones was the Wallaby captain um, from. Let me think. I wrote his biography from 80, 88 to ninety three, mm. no, um, ninety two. That, that were my rugby years. I went yeah. to a rugby school in Brisbane, so those yeah. were, those are the games I watched. Yeah, and that I mean. I always say, you know, that, that back line that Far Jones was part of and I was in the forward pack briefly, that, you know, Far Jones, it was the golden years, Far Jones, Nick Far Jones at halfback, Michael Liner at 5'8", Tim Horn inside centre, Jason Little outside centre and, of course, David Campisi at self-centre. <laughs> boom, boom. Uh, but Far Jones was an absolute diplomat, an ambassador for Australian rugby and for Australia. And when he was running the show, there was a very powerful sense of we are Australians abroad, we are wearing our blazers. We've got to look good. We've got to sound good. We've got to be ambassadors for the people. And and it was really, it was, you know, it was an honour to be a part of it, albeit for, you know, for me, for a very brief period. But it, it wasn't a... I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, like, there's a, there's a feeling that you had inside your heart of, of love and pride for your country. Yeah. And that is one way that love and pride for your country yes. can look. It yes. doesn't have to be Chinese-made flags flapping out no. the side of your Tarago. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's absolutely true, and it can be picking up litter. You know, yeah. my, my mother, my mother couldn't see litter. She'd always pick it up and she'd plant trees wherever she could. You know, I mean, that was that was love of country, pride yeah. of country, leaving the place a better, leaving the world a better place than so you found how, it. How can we? And it, you know, it's, it's quite you know obviously since two thousand five. But how do we? How how can we? In your mind move a little further away from this kind of jingoistic, unfeeling, yeah. nationalistic kind of, there is only Aussie pride and that's it's it. It's interesting, the third article I wrote was about Aussie Joe Bugner. Now, do you remember him? A he boxer been, who went up against Muhammad Ali. That's right. He was a, he, he fought Muhammad three times. Amazing. Uh, amazing. But he, in 1984 or five. He fought Mike Page at the Sydney Entertainment Centre and it was the third piece that I, I ever had a chance to be published in Fairfax. I must maybe 86, 87. Anyway, the fight was on a Friday night and I watched it between 8.30 and 10.30. I went back to Fairfax. 
I wrote for the next six hours, those 800 words, went back and had three hours sleep, came back and did another 200 words, you know, and another two hours. And it was the best piece of writing I could ever, you know, hope for because I was proud of it. But my point is that one of the things I was giving Aussie Joe tips on at the end was, listen, at, you know, you, you, won the, you won the fight, but then you got an Australian flag and you brandished it on a pole and you wandered around the thing brandishing the flag. And I said, you know, Aussie Joe, listen, we, uh, we, we don't really do that. We're not, we don't really do much of that here. That's not really a very straight because we're not flag wavers. And yet by 1990s under John Howard, we suddenly became flag wavers. That became a very big deal. I think it wasn't that the, the schools would only get funding if they had, uh, you know, if they had the national flag up and that became a really big deal. When I interviewed, and I'm proud of this one, I interviewed Sir Edmund Hillary. And in 95, I tell the story, I was in Auckland and I said to a mate of mine, geez, I'd like to interview the first man to get to the top of Everest. How could I get a hold of him? And he said, have you tried the phone book? In 1995, Sir E. Hillary, 278A, Remuera Road, North Auckland, there he was. But he said to me, when he got to the top of Everest, I said, did you plant the New Zealand flag? He said, didn't even occur to him. Did, didn't, you know, he said, I was not, a, I was not into flags. And um, that was, Australia was like that. New Zealand was like that. It's only in recent times. And so, again, when you, when you say, you know, sometimes I put on Twitter or, or in my columns, you know, let's change the flag, let's have the Eureka flag, which for me is the answer, um, people say, how dare you? Our diggers fought and died for that. And I say, really? Really? Well, I've, I've written about, you know, between Kokoda, Kokoda to Brook, Nancy Wake, Gallipoli, Fromel, Pozier, Villers Bretonnier, Battle of Lohamel. I've written 10 battles in Australian history. I've gone through the letters, I've gone through the diaries. I have never come across any account of, and the flag was at the top of the hill, and I said, We're going, boys, there's our. I'm yeah. bullshit. Didn't happen. It's not and, and there is, you know, there is a, there's one particular painting that purports to be from whenever it was 1918, and there was an Australian flag, yeah. you know, et cetera, et cetera. But we weren't, you know, when they were at Gallipoli and when they were at Fromel, they were, they, were, they were fighting for their lives. They were fighting for their country, but they weren't fighting for a piece of cloth. If mm. They were fighting for anything. It was for the right for us to evolve as a people, as an independent people, making up our own minds, not to be, not to be you know, whatever. What, if they were fighting for Australia as it was in 1918, well, then you never would have given the Aborigines the vote in 1967. You um, you you're the head of the chair of the Australian Republic movement, and you clearly someone who uh, in, in progressive politics you're you're hoping you're, you're pushing for our country to be to be better than mm. it is. In your mind, what 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 kind of possibilities lie ahead of us? Uh, we've we've seen the same sex marriage debate go through, well, and just the, the what's possible here? What's possible is to have one of us. I mean, I, I'm a great admirer of Sir Peter Cosgrove. But there's a huge difference between Sir Peter Cosgrove, not the man, the position, and the Irish president, for example. I met with Professor, President Professor Michael Higgins, fabulous Irishman who is president of Ireland and came to Australia two or three months ago and I went to a lunch where he was addressing 500 people and he stood there as Ireland's man. He was the representative, and if it had been a woman, it would have been Ireland's woman. But, you know, this is our best and brightest, and we're projecting across the seas, this is a representative of Ireland, the president 
of Ireland. This is the person that the Irish people have selected as theirs to represent them. And he was impressive as all get out. Now, when Sir Peter Cosgrove addresses an audience, who's he representing? He's representing the power of the Queen of England. He's Queen, Queen Elizabeth II's representative in Australia. And Mike Pence, the American vice president, was here February last year, about a year ago, and he tweeted and what a great honour it was at Admiralty House to meet with Queen Elizabeth II's representative to Australia, Sir Peter Cosgrove. I died. Mm. I cringed because it's absolutely correct. He's technically correct. correct. He's absolutely <laughs> correct. He's absolutely yeah. 100% correct. But so there we are, you know, his tweet going out to around the world, I met with Queen Elizabeth II's representative to Australia, Sir Peter Cosgrove, and that's exactly what he is. But... You know, the possibilities are, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I describe the Republic movement as like a toy plane convention at St Mary's Cathedral. We have lots of models that will fly within a very, very broad church. My model is a dead simple one, the minimalist model, and it can fit inside a tweet. The current system, as you know, is that the Prime Minister, the democratically elected leader of the Australian people, makes a selection, the convention is, makes a selection as to who he or she wants to be the Governor-General, makes a selection and then is reduced to asking the Queen of England, the unelected representative of the, of the English aristocrats, is it all right with your unelected Englishness what I, as the democratically elected leader of the Australian people, have decided to do? Here's a new system. Everything stays the same. We still call the 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 Governor General the Governor General. We're still a part the, of the Commonwealth. We're still the Commonwealth of Australia. But the Prime Minister, after he or she has made the selection, instead of asking an unelected lady living in England if it's okay with her, asks the Parliament of the People seeks a two-third majority for this is my selection. And and what that means is that the authority of the Governor General does not rest upon the Queen of England's selection, you know, the latest progeny of the family of English aristocrats living in a palace in London, but rests on the power of democracy, the power of the people of Australia. And what a different vibe that would be. And, you know, people say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's bloody well broke. It depends if you, you judge yourself as an Australian beneath the Southern Cross or a transplanted Brit. You know, well, for me, I don't, I, you know, good luck to the Queen of England, good luck to Prince Charles. He sounds like an interesting fellow. And good luck to him. I've got nothing against any of them. But um, when other, other people say, but, ah, oh, well, you know, Prince William and Duchess Cambridge, is it? Can, York, one of so. those. That, what, Duchess, the Duchess, Kate. Mm. Um, you know, they're so, they're so wonderful. I won't vote. I, and I say, of course they're wonderful. Love them. Can't get enough of them. Every time they're on the cover of the Women's Weekly, there's a big man and an ugly red bandana. Love reading about them. And here's the answer. After we become a republic, all of that goes on. You know, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle yeah. will have their baby in two or three years' time or four years' time, and good luck to them, you know, five years' time, be on the cover of the Women's Weekly, I'll be buying it. And we'll be a republic by then. It'll still go on. Yeah. And if we're lucky... They'll, they'll come here and we can meet them and we can wave at them in George Street as they pass us by and I'll be there with the best of them waving at them. You know, and, and so the, the, other, the other one, you know, is... Uh, oh, I'm rambling, but it, it, um, I get... When I did my first interview on The Republic, Lisa, my wife, was sitting beside me and it was with Fran Kelly. 
And she said, I, you know, I gave fire and brimstone about, you know, we can do better to find a head of state from a family of English aristocrats living in a palace in London, et cetera, et cetera. And Lisa said, look, if you're going to do this job properly, I want to give you some advice. I said, what's that? She said, don't play your natural game. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, don't be a loud dickhead. <laughs> and it was, you know, that I've got, I had to, you know, temper it and pull back a long way to... To say, oh, well, yes, it is quite reasonable. Well, your view is, you know, you're a monarchist and so you actually think we can't do better than to find our head of state and that it's not safe to, you know, think that we can run our own Australian democracy. Oh, OK. Well, that's interesting. Good. And that's the, probably the way I should be in the public domain and I try as much as possible to be like that in the public domain. But truly inside me, truly inside me, I think, come on, please, You've got to be kidding me. Seriously, you're a monarchist in 2018? What's wrong with you? So Friday, uh, Friday the 26th of January 2018, mm. might, might be one of the handful of last times we celebrate or we have an yeah, Australian it'll day. It'll be very interesting to see the politics of it. What, what will Australia's first Independence Day look like? That's a very good question. It'll be, it'll probably be the date that we hold the referendum and it'll be like same-sex marriage on steroids in terms of, you know, in terms of the celebration, the euphoria. And there'll be a few monarchists in the corner, you know, <laughs> saying, tasting, tasting Her Majesty <laughs> and good luck to them, you know, all of that and that enduring loyalty to, to Great Britain. But for the rest of us, it will be, wow, to be... Uh, to oh, bliss was it in that dawn to be alive, but to be young was very heaven. What's that line? Is it Milton? Some one of those bookers. Um, but for the rest of us, it'll be an historic moment that we actually are freestanding beneath the Southern Cross. We can do this on our own, and we won't go through the humiliation, the humiliation of checking checking in every I mean you had this thing the other what was it three or four weeks ago where you had the three senators so three senators were bumped out because of dual citizenship and so we got three new senators what's their first step they have to pledge allegiance you know they're the new ones the, the, the other boogers that were dual citizens gone because any taint of dual citizenship you're not good enough to be there but so the three new senators I declare my allegiance to the Queen of England I mean it's ridiculous. Well, I look forward to... Uh, well, help us, Osha. Help us. I signed up this morning. Good. Lucky. I was going to check your papers. <laughs> no, no, but people... But, but I, say, I, I do say this again to audiences around the country. I say, look, your goodwill for the Republic movement is fabulous, but it's not enough. We actually need your membership. We need your email. We need your, your Facebook support. We need you marching, bound, you know, pounding on doors to make this happen. And it's interesting... Bill Shorten surprised me, you know, like he, so he spoke to us on the 29th of July last year to, we had 950 people in the Royal Exhibition Building in in uh, Melbourne and we got advance warning by about 12 hours of what he was going to say, but he made the commitment. He said that if if his government is elected, that uh, the, the question will be put to the Australian people. Very simple question. Do you think Australia should have an Australian as our head of state? And he surprised me in that was I didn't think he would do it that early, but fantastic that he does. And we don't, as a republic movement, we don't endorse one side of politics or the other. We call upon the LNP, Liberal National Party, led by Malcolm Turnbull, 
to just match them, just to how wonderful it would be if you could take this out of politics, out of just saying, look, you've got, at the moment, you've got the Prime Minister, the, the opposition leader, all the state premiers, both chief ministers, all of them are Republicans. As I said in my speech to the National Press Club, never in the history of Australia have the stars of the Southern Cross been so aligned as pointing to the dawn of a new age, the Republican age is right now. We've got the levers of power. Come together, the Republicans, and make this happen. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. But make it happen now. You know, and people say it's inevitable. It's inevitable, Republic. No, it's not inevitable. We've got to make it happen ourselves. And it'd be a fabulous, peaceful exercise, inspirational exercise to be to be involved with. It's been great to chat to you, man. Thanks for coming. Thank you for coming in. I'm sorry I stuffed you around whatever it was just before Christmas. I got to have a great conversation with the table uh, lady at the table next to you, if you recall. (laughs) Thank you. I'm just going to shoot your photo. That was Peter Fitzsimons. You can find him on Twitter at Peter underscore F-I-T-Z. Well, Z, if you're American. Uh, I'm going to say, however you spend January 26, look, honestly, that's okay with me. I just want to ask you one thing, and that that we start to honestly talk about it. Let's not yell at each other, but I don't feel great about January 26, and I'd like us to do something about it. Some people don't feel great that people like me want to do something about it. Wouldn't it be great? If we could work together towards a situation where everyone can celebrate the incredible things that make this country wonderful. This episode was made by some wonderful people. Uh, my audio producer is Andy Marr. Show producer is Hallie Van Spagna. My music producer is Toe Hider, And I couldn't have made the show without you for listening. Because if you don't listen, I don't get the download numbers. I can't say to my guests, look how many people listen. You should be on my show. So thank you for listening. Enjoy Friday, no matter what it is that you do. I'll see you with a new episode on Monday. Thank you, Andy, for pulling a double shift this week. Until we talk next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.